0: Our whole proposition of daycare is about building better relationships between the parent and the dog. And the stronger that relationship is, the more love that, that develops between the dog and the parent. Anything we love in life, we never give up. Right? That's, it's called a broken heart. And so we've done a lot of work about, around enhancing that joy by developing better canine citizens.
1: This is The Safari. The safari is a tour around the consumer brand and retailing industry and we have the great privilege here at my company traub to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world and i felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast, which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Welcome back to The Safari. This is Morty Singer, and we are in April 2021 at this recording. And today we are going to talk to a really interesting guy, uh, Neil Gill, who is the CEO and president of Dogtopia. And what Dogtopia is, is at the nexus of what I would say new retail and the pet industry. And it is a daycare center for uh, dogs in particular where by their millennial parents and, and as he calls them a, a millennial um, uh, young woman uh, who is very, very engaged with their pet and cares deeply about having them uh, taken care of. And it's more of a mindful environment. It's sort of a spiritual environment as well uh, for these dogs to go to. And um, it's really quite wonderful. And he's also, for 35 years, he's been at the forefront of franchising, uh, the international uh, franchising as a franchisor and a franchisee of many different concepts across restoration coffee etc and so this will be an education not only on the pet industry but also in how to franchise as well so let's get started neil thank you so much for joining me on the safari how are you today
0: very well marty great to meet you today and looking forward to having a chat together
1: uh well good well the the uh the pet space uh, indeed has been something that's fascinated me for a long time, and you are uh, you're, you're the home uh, or temporary home often for uh, people's furry friends. And uh, I think it's really wonderful to obviously talk about interesting new retail concepts, but also the the pet industry uh, at large. And so maybe give the listener a little background on your business and uh, and how you got into it.
0: Sure, Morty. So um, I joined about five and a half, almost six years ago. I can't believe they say time flies when you're having fun. And I think when you're in the dog business, you've got to multiply that time by seven dog years. And so certainly true in our world. And uh, interesting sector in the sense that, you know, working through the pandemic, it's proven to be pandemic resistant. Through the recession, it proved itself to be recession resistant. And um, when I stepped in back in 2015, I made an absolute uh, commitment to our franchisees, because we're a franchise-based organization, to focus and double down on daycare as the core revenue channel. And um, during the pandemic that paid massive dividends because it was that part of the business that really was pretty much unaffected. So whilst people stopped traveling and they didn't have the need for the boarding services anymore, Um, The daycare side of things continued on its growth path. And so, and what's been interesting, Morty, is that, um, you know, we've all seen the the puppy pandemic that's taken place, you know, during, or, you know, we call it the puppy binge, where 53% of millennials have gone out and got themselves a puppy. And uh, and then on top of that, the other piece that no one's talking about is the kind of Zoom distraction that um, dogs in the household cause. And so what we've seen is this combination of, you know, the puppy piece, um, you know, and the amount of work, because people don't realise the amount of work bringing a puppy into the home is, <laughs> you know, when they're trying to do it themselves. It takes a village to raise a, a, a well-balanced puppy. And then the second piece is this distraction that takes place during Zoom sessions. So, and we saw that change over time. So at the beginning of the pandemic, people loved the concept of working from home, having their dog kind of walk across there, um, cameras or climbing there. Yeah, it was charming. It was
1: considered charming for, for about a week.
0: Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> it was charming. That's a nice description. And then the barking and not being able to hear and things. And so people then started to realize that you know, daycare was still a necessity during that period. But um, it is a great sector, Morty. It's a sector that is continuing to grow and develop and mature. Only 2% of dogs today attend daycare. And so that's, you know, we have an absolute goal to drive that awareness proposition around how do you develop daycare as an awareness proposition for the wellness and the holistic wellness of a dog. So, you know, one of the the three areas we focus on as an organization is um, socialization, the education, and the exercise of a dog. So 62% of dogs in the US are obese, and we have an absolute goal to help parents address that problem. Yeah. And um, I was talking to a, a professor at a university last Friday who's been studying uh, the coronary disease within dogs, and they they um, assume about 30% because they don't have the actual facts yet because they haven't been able to do proper studies, but they're assuming about 30% of dogs um, Contract some form of coronary disease in their life, and so a big part of our proposition is how do we create training and development programs within our daycare model through our canine coaches to um, develop healthier dogs. Yeah, yeah, And So, and that's you know what we have defined as being a Dogtopia dog.
1: And so, so, so before the pandemic, uh, the two percent of people who send their dogs uh, away. Um, Uh, for the day. Was it historically always people going on vacation or going on business trips or would, was there a group of people who said, you know what, I'm at home, but I'd like to put the dog or, you know, I'd like to put the dog into, into daycare for some other reason or, or, and has that changed since the pandemic?
0: Yeah, good question, Marty. It's, it's an interesting sector. So when I joined in 2015, the thing that really painted the picture for me of the opportunity was I attended the largest dog daycare and boarding expo over in Hershey Lodge, right? Like who could resist a, a conference at Hershey Lodge? And, um, and I got to meet 600 independent operators because there's about 6,600 independents in the country. And, um, and so they're our major main competitor. And, and some of them do a really wonderful job in the space of delivering daycare services, but most are focused on the boarding revenue. And so the industry was born out of providing like what we call kennels or boarding centers so that when parents do go away, they've got somewhere safe to put their dog. What we saw, you know, what I saw back in 2005 was this real opportunity. There was not a single brand in this country that focused on daycare as as the core channel within their business. And so, Everyone was focused on the boarding side of things. They were focused on the grooming and the spa services. Mm-hmm. But no one said, hey, you know what? There is not a single brand in this country that's providing high-level, holistic services for the dog on a daily basis. Yeah. And so that's when I pivoted the business. So we started in early 2016 in redeveloping um, not only our people but all of our systems and our tools and our processes. Yeah, yeah. So we scrapped everything that we had.
1: Interesting. So it sounds like you, you sort of elevated the dog daycare experience on the, on the one hand, but on the other, instead of it just being a place to be dropped off, it almost feels like you know, they're going to sort of a place for socialization, education, exercise. It's almost like going to a hotel or a, or a, or a spa almost for a dog.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, partly, Marty, but we, we consider it to be more of an education. So it's we've emulated a lot of what the children's daycare have done so our core target demographic is the female millennial and she treats her baby like it's her child and so do we. Yeah. And so, and if we're really serious about that, which we are, then you've got to take it to the full extent. Yeah. And so the design of our location, so like our head of real estate and design has spent 26 years in the children's daycare sector. So Kathy's now been with me for three years and we've done a complete redesign of our spaces to ensure absolute safety. So our HVAC systems are some of the best in the world in ensuring that we're not sharing pathogens between different rooms because we separate our dogs by size and temperament. Okay, So they go through an evaluation process before they join. And some, not all dogs make it, by the way. So we're quite exclusive in the sense of, of who becomes a Dogtopia dog. And so they go through an evaluation. Once they're accepted, they then join the classroom and they, they start to develop... Um, in that classroom environment. So we start with socialisation because not all dogs are, are well socialised. And a well socialised dog is a dog that can hang out in a green belt and be safe in a green belt, that's calm when you have visitors come and visit you at home, that you can take out to restaurants, that you can live in an apartment peacefully. And so and once the dog learns its basic socialisation techniques by hanging out with other dogs... Then we move on to some of the education components where we work with them on basic commands. So sit, stay, door control is a big one so mm. that we teach them to be calm when the door opens because right? they get excited when new dogs are coming in because mm. right? they particularly if it's their BFFF, right? their best <laughs> furry friend forever. And by the way, Marty, we've trademarked that. Right? So um, we believe so much in the in the daycare model that we trademark BFFF because we know part of the research that I did early in the piece was we know that dogs in daycare meet their best furry friend and they fall in love with each other. It's quite incredible the relationships that develop in those playrooms. Yeah. And then they pine for each other when they're not in daycare. And then, of course, exercise. So the canine coaches, our canine coaches, are some of the best trained in the world. So we've worked with two of the largest dog training schools, And all of our training for our coaches has been nationally recognized and certified by two of the largest dog training schools in the U.S. Hmm. So we're super proud of that. So our canine coaches are very sophisticated.
1: And so you have a a franchise model. Are any of your stores uh, company-owned and operated, or is it 100% franchise?
0: So six of the 159 that are operating today um, are company-owned. And we're a franchise business, so I have no desire to build a portfolio of company daycares, our support office, which has in excess of 40 people. They're there to support our franchisees. I've been in franchising since I was 15, Morty.
1: Yeah, I saw that. You've been doing it for a long time.
0: And so I know the support required to make franchisees successful. I've been on both sides of the fence, by the way, as well. So I've been a franchisee and I've been a franchisor. And so I know what it feels like. I know what bad support feels like. And I know what great support can do for the business
1: model. Yeah. I, I think. And so is it um, a North American primarily business or where, where, what footprint do you have currently today?
0: Yeah. So 35 states in the US and the four provinces of Canada. And uh, so at the moment, uh, predominantly, well, a totally North American model. Uh, We're constantly being contacted by different groups throughout the world to take the model with Australia, for example, because of my background, so I get contacted a lot.
1: Well, the UK, I I imagine, must have.
0: The UK is a very solid market for daycare. There's a lot of independents operating there right now, and so that's another market that we feel um, is certainly a, a future proposition. Japan, um, China, Germany has um, a very strong dog uh, community as well. So there's certainly opportunity from an international point of view, but our focus right now is just building out the North American model. We will get the business to 400 locations by the end of 2024. We have, um, you know, as I mentioned, 159 on the ground. We have another 254 in the pipeline that we have to get opened. Wow. So we've sold 254 agreements. And, um, and we're continuing to so we've had a great first quarter. We sold 32 units, Q1 of this year. And so uh, this year this year is booming for us. So you know positive sales comping, really strong franchise sales and um, you know this, the 2021 has been an exceptional year for the business.
1: And do you, within the the four walls of uh, the daycare center, uh, sell products? I mean, is that after-sale shampoos or anything else that you, or toys, or do you leave that to a different retailer?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Marty. And that was a question I asked myself when I came on board back in 2015 because um, the older model did, right? So the original 1.0 Dogtopia it had a retail sector where it sold things like treats and toys and collars and leads and so on. and But it didn't make up a, a large percentage of the revenue channel and it was a big distraction for the franchisees and their teams. So since 2016, we haven't been designing our stores with any retail. It's not an area. Your Chewy do a wonderful job in that sector. Amazon do a great job. you got your big boxes like Petcom, PetSmart, and so you know, we have no desire to compete against those groups. And then you've got your independents and you know, Pet Supplies Plus as well, which is a great franchise group that um, do a wonderful job. So there's plenty of places for parents to um, to go and you know, buy those products. And mm-hmm. you know, we love partnering with the likes of a Pet Smart. We love opening up near those guys. They help us immensely in um, driving daycare.
1: And, and so when you think about um, the consumer, because it's been a really interesting. A phenomenon globally, I think, over the last year, uh, and you touched on it earlier, about um, millennials just, you know, just needing a dog and or a pet. Frankly, yeah. um, do you see there being any? Um, any trait within, let's call it the millennial or even the Gen Z customer that causes them to have this uh, affinity during a pandemic? Or do you think it was this, was it, was it across the board? It was, it was everybody was buying uh, pets during this, uh, during this time. And, and I guess the follow on to that is, do you see that sticking or do you see people, um, because you always hear about these shelters being empty now. In, yeah. It begs the question: Sometimes, will the reverse happen when people sort of realize they bid off too, you know, more than they could chew, which is a horrifying thought on some level. But um, h- how do you feel the consumer um, of 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 um, let's, let's say the the pet care and pet products and yes, pet consumer um, is acting today and 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 maybe a year or few or few from now?
0: Yeah, and that's it's that's the right question, Marty. It really is, and you know, I've been challenging my team uh, with that same question. It's it's how do we ensure um, with Dogtopia in your community that we're providing the support that parents need to ensure they don't give that dog up? And so, let me talk a little bit about that. Mm. So, I'm going to talk about our noble cause or our vision statement. Mm-hmm. And our noble cause consists of two parts. And if you look at our noble cause, it has an and in it. And if you speak to any brand expert, they'll tell you, don't ever put an and in your noble cause, A-N-D, and, okay? Yep. And the reason we have an and in ours is because it refers to two enterprises. So the first part about enhancing the joy of dog parenthood right, is all about the enterprise and it's about daycare. The second part about enabling dogs to possibly change the world is all about our foundation. So in two, late 2016, we launched the Dogtopia Foundation, which is all about dogs giving back to humans. It's, we don't support shelters and rescues. Uh, we have three causes. So we provide service dogs to service veterans, to return service vets, and we have over 70 dogs in the community now working with um, veterans that we're super proud of. Mm. We work with Sit-Stay Read up in Chicago where we take kids into underprivileged schools and uh, we take them out of the classroom and they read to dogs and within six to nine months, those same kids are in the top quintile of their class from a reading and writing point of view. It's absolutely beautiful. It gives me so much joy. And then the third piece is we work with SARC in the Phoenix Valley, which is the largest research centre for autism in the world. And uh, we've developed a training module to allow our franchisees to employ adults on the spectrum within our stores because working with dogs keeps um, adults on the spectrum calmer.
1: Good for you. That's wonderful.
0: And, and 84% of adults on the spectrum are underemployed. So that's the foundation. So if you come back to the first part of our noble cause about enabling dogs to, to, to oh, sorry, to en- enhancing the joy of, of um, dog parenthood, our whole proposition of daycare is about building better relationships between the parent and the dog and the stronger that relationship is the more love that that develops between the dog and the parent anything we love in life we never give up right that's it's called a broken heart and so we've done a lot of work about around enhancing that joy by developing better canine citizens that's why the canine coach gets so much training from us right and so and we've developed some um, parent development programs so things like taking your dog out to a restaurant and how do you do that appropriately Um, just to to strengthen that relationship and bond that human dog bond just like you do with a child because we believe if we can develop better canine citizens and develop more love between the parent and the dog they'll never give the dog up again yeah and so that's why we our foundation doesn't focus on shelters because the business in its entirety does by addressing the problem at the root cause. So and that's why it's such a great question, Morty, because that's certainly an area of concern that we have, is that the last thing we want to see is dogs going back into those shelters. Put your dog in daycare, and you will never put the dog back in a shelter. That's our position across it all.
1: Well, it's a won- it's a wonderful position. I think that um you know, I see it across my family uh, they big dog family um, we don't have a dog yet though there's a lot of pressure to do so uh, but uh, from two little ones but um, but it's it's quite a unique uh, thing to behold especially I don't know maybe cats is the same thing but the the bond between a human and their dog is is quite special and remarkable in in many many ways um, so you feel therefore that let's let's leave the the the, the dog itself uh, alone for just a second and you look at the wider... That's hard for me to do. I know it. that, I know that, that's why I said it. <laughs> uh, but but to, to think about the actual human uh, and the psychology of the mindful consumer, because a lot of what you're doing is, I think, tapping into a vein of a young consumer who is much more Uh, awake to mindfulness and uh, newness that is alive today, whether it be spirituality or meditation or exercise or the outdoors and indeed pets. Um, How do you see this as a steamroller? Is is the young consumer now just taken over and this is not going away? um, Or do you think there's ebbs and flows?
0: No, this is, this is not stopping Marty. Like um, the exciting part about the dog in our world, this is not a fad, right? So so you have the millennial, the female millennial who makes all of our decisions for us, okay? Like um, she even decides what car the family's going to buy now. And so she's a powerhouse in the consumer space because she influences up, down, sideways, and in every aspect of life. And she turns 42 this year okay and so and what's even just as exciting as the millennial demographic with all their passion and their drive and their level of intellect and their level of education and their level of awareness is generation z and what we've seen from that because we employ that generation right so we know that generation extremely well what we see from them is a is another level of passion for dogs Okay, so um, the millennial change, the way we think about dogs as being, instead of being this kind of backyard pet, become a, you know, it went from being a backyard pet to becoming a child in the family. Generation Z is taking it to the next level of what I describe, the dogification of the human. So everyone's talking about the humanization of the dog. Two years ago, I launched the concept of the dogification of the human, which was actually inspired in me by the Generation Z by our employees, they're obsessed with the love of the dog because they know it just—it brings so much to us. You know, the, you know the T-shirt that says I, was, "I wish I was half the man my dog thinks I am." That <laughs> inspirational <laughs> proposition—they get it, they understand it. I think it's—you know—we talk about that Generation Z being really the first digital native. I also think they're the first digital dogification of the human where the dog is just part of their life as a child.
1: Yeah. I'm
0: very excited about this next generation, Morty. I mean, uh, because they're super intelligent, super aware, and, um, you know, they're driving for better things globally, which the dog just generally naturally does.
1: I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. I think it's interesting that the term uh, woke has been vilified as a polarizing uh, word. But I think if you if you think about what it means, is being awake and being open uh, to new ways of thinking, or indeed ancient ways of thinking. Right? And the the relationship between canine and 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 uh, and human is as old as the hills, um, and the that sort of pleasure and the the presence that one feels around uh, an animal or nature and, and yes a dog, I think is um, is one of those things that is um, maybe so the antidote to. Um, to the digital world, maybe, uh, which I think is a- yeah,
0: it's interesting that anti is an interesting proposition. And it's funny you use the word woke, Marty. 2019 at conference, I actually delivered that term um, as a call to action for our franchisees, just to really understand that connection and that you know, that component of you know dogs are fundamentally work creatures. And we did a lot of work with a professor at the University of Arizona who spent um, 12 years examining that um, human-dog bond. And he wrote a book um, called Dog is Love. It was uh, featured by New York Times. And he's proven that dogs are the only other mammal that love at the same level as a human does. So that love is true and it's real and it's proven. And um, so I was super excited about that whole concept, right, because I'm a science geek. I have an engineering science background. And so, you know, I'm a big researcher. And, um, and I went out speaking to our pet parents about it and I said to them, I said, look, we have worked with this professor and he's proven something that's incredibly exciting and they, they were excited. To, what is it? What is it? And I said, the dogs literally love you the same way you love them. You know what their response was? What? Right. They said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they said, I know. And so they didn't need 12 years of research to prove that like they knew from the love that their dog gave them and that's that that's our pet parents that they're that's our incredible pet parents
1: so i could speak to you for hours on this this relationship that you describe between the human and the pet but i, I also um it would be remiss to not um speak to you as you know one of the one of the great experts um and, and certainly the 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 only expert we've had on this podcast uh on the nature of franchising and I'd love you to spend a little bit of time, if you would, um, twofold. One, explaining uh, this, this isn't your first radio, rodeo in franchising and maybe explaining some of the concepts that you've uh, worked with in the past uh, both on both sides, franchisee, franchisor. Um, but also, um, I'd love to have sort of the top three tips for someone who is a brand uh, who believes they have something that's franchisable, you know, what are the top three things to, to, you know, just, you know, do not get out of bed unless you've done these things uh, because you will fail. Um, so twofold question.
0: Yeah, and a, a big question, by the way, Yeah, Marty, That's a big question. There we go. I
1: can just <laughs> sit back now and watch you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, my background, so I started as a kid with KFC. And um, when it first launched in the Australian market. And Australia is an incredibly tough market to do business in, particularly back then when franchising wasn't, um, you know, just wasn't known. And, you know, the Australian business community was built up by mum and pop businesses running independence. It's an independent marketplace, it really is. And so to take an American brand um, into a market that was, you know thousands and thousands of what we called milk bars at the time and developed that across the country it was an incredible experience for me personally as a kid right so and I did 6 years um, working with the development team to grow the brand I was out opening new locations right as a, you know, as, a as a kid and learning about business I became the youngest uh, general manager of the locations so it became the second highest location in the area. And then I would go out and I'd send teams out and open locations with them and with franchisees. And that was my kind of first taste of working with really entrepreneurial people within a system that's been proven. And I thought, wow, what a great combination, right? So I thought this franchising thing's got legs, you know, and this was, you know, by 15 I started doing that. So by the age of 17 um, I was pretty convinced it was a solid model. So then I went and finished my degree and, um, and then got involved in uh, some independent businesses and started to grow those. And just that gave me the chance to see the challenges of trying to do it without the proven systems. It took longer, it cost more money, there was much more risk involved. So I went back into the franchise model. So I yep. went and joined um, KFC, oh, sorry, uh, Pizza Hut um, as a franchisee of, was on the west coast of Australia. And so I became a franchisee with a group that owned the Western Australian market. And so I got a taste of, of what support can look like
1: yep. you know,
0: with, a, with a large international group. Then I had the privilege of joining Brinker International so uh, for another six years. So, and I got to do some work with Norman Brinker. So the man that is really responsible for casual dining in the US. And this was back in the 90s when casual dining was still extremely cool, right? So, <laughs> I, and, I, and I say that because it's kind of lost its shine now, right, the casual dining space. And, um, and so we took the brand into the Australian marketplace and, um, and opened up yep. um, Chili's restaurants in a sector that's dominated by incredibly good independent restaurants. And so um, from there, I then joined another American brand. So my entire career has been US-based brands. Um, so a coffee brand called Gloria Glory Jean's Coffees. Mm-hmm. So at the time, 250 locations in the US market, and um, and I joined the group in Australia when they had 50 stores. Now the interesting thing about coffee in Australia is it's dominated by independents. So at that point in time, there are about 15,000 independent players in the space, and so and we had this crazy idea to take an American brand of coffee into Australia and we thought we could make that work. If, M- if any MBA student looked at that they would tell you you were insane yeah right What was interesting is that um, what we had to do we had to reposition the entire brand and in fact that's where I met Ken and um, so we, we had to really think hard about the consumer. We had to think hard about the positioning and we knew straight away that that coffee drinkers wanted to know the owner. They didn't want to be part of a chain. They didn't want to be part of of anything that wasn't local. And so we really much localized the brand. And then um, in 2003, we bought the brand globally in every part of the country except um, the US and Puerto Rico. Mm. And then we developed it globally into 39 countries, over a 1,000 locations. And, um, And so it was just this wonderful experience of taking a brand that people to start with didn't think they needed right they didn't think they needed it and we opened we opened 548 locations in the Australian market and we became the leading coffee brand in the country we drove Starbucks out of Australia so today there are only there's just over 21 Starbucks in Australia they opened 86 during their consolidation period of 08 they shut back down to 21 And we purposely opened up near them and next to them because I knew the franchising model was a much stronger model than a corporate model because you've got a franchisee with their own skin in the game that are in there 24-7 working that business. And if you can keep them within the confines of the franchise guardrails, you're giving them the support and the background and the marketing, and they can execute operationally, You've got a model that you can't beat corporately. Well,
1: let's t- let's talk about that skin in the game because I think there's something incredibly graceful about the franchising model the way you describe it, especially for the micro-franchisees. I mean, there's there's big groups that are the franchisees who have, you know, half a territory or a whole territory or a country. And then there yeah. are people who have, you know, the west side of a town um, yeah. or the east side of a town or a whole village Um and their mom and pop, uh, you know, families. And, and, um, I, I, but on both levels, whether you're the, 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 let's say the corporate franchisee versus the mom and pop franchisee, both groups have the same need for the support and both groups, um, you know, really feel the need to understand their customer and their market. And it creates this wonderful symbiosis between franchisor and franchisee. As long as the franchisor is, has the integrity to care for them because ultimately what i find lovely about the the business is that someone can say look i'm an entrepreneur i want to do business i want to launch something i want to be in retail or food or what have you but you know what i don't want to have concept risk i want to take something that's cool that works that's proven and i want to own it and someone's going to give me the game plan the the playbook right which yeah, i feel that is exactly. the the, the perfect harmony between franchisor and franchisee is that symbiosis. Oftentimes, I fear some of the franchisors get greedy because they get taken over by someone by a by a big you know a new owner, and they try and squeeze uh, the franchisees and then suddenly the whole thing's a house of cards. So therefore coming to the second piece of the question, um, which was, you know, what are the, 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 the thumbs up and what are the thumbs down uh, yeah. uh, when, when in that business?
0: Yeah, you touch on a couple of interesting points in that statement you just made, Morty. There was one part you missed, and, and I just happened this, before.
1: It has happened before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you on it. Um, so and this I discussed this. Uh, so we run two development sessions with our franchisees as they come in before they open. So we do a university program and we do an MBA program. And um, I do a value sessions with our franchisees to talk about who we are, what do we stand for? That screen behind me now are our values, Morty. Yeah. And so they're super important to me as the CEO to ensure well, Let, let me
1: read them because uh, the, the, this is a listening thing. So we chase, we love, we treat. Is that right?
0: Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, oh, and we, oh,
1: there's more of them. We stay, play. we play. There we go. Uh-huh.
0: We play to our full potential. And so- uh, and a big part, you know, because you can set your noble cause or your vision statement, that's where you're headed long-term. You have your mission statement, you know, which, um, which should be the instructions manual on how to get to your vision or your noble cause. We call that our brain manifesto. And then our values we call our dogtopiarisms, and that's how you treat each other on the journey. Right. So there's two parts to a really strong franchise relationship, so one part is exactly what you just said, Morty, with a franchise or who really understands the needs of both the franchisee, the consumer, so whatever consumer set you, you're actually working within, but also your supply chain um, relationship. So there's you know, the three-legged stool is what people refer to all the time. And the franchisor um, has to be humble in their approach around how they're providing constant 24-7 support to the franchisee, okay, and that's, Um, And that's a responsibility that every franchisor has. Build the systems, build the tools, build the processes, and then build the brand. Okay? So, And then the third part of the franchisor's responsibility is to ensure compliance or alignment across the network because you join a franchise system for that consistency of the brand and the offering. So they're, they're the three responsibilities of what I see being a franchisor. The franchisee also has three responsibilities. Okay? And, and the way the best franchise system works is when the two parties absolutely understand and respect their responsibilities and work cohesively together as true partners. And I think a lot of mistakes that franchisees uh, franchisors make is they don't define those two responsibilities well okay so you have to you've got to develop your franchisees to understand what part they play in the relationship just like you do in any relationship okay like any any partnership that you have in life and so the franchisee their responsibilities are they have to take those system tools and processes and execute on them every single minute of the day execution 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 they have to build their business, not the brand. Our job's to build the uh, brand. They have to build their business within their local community, particularly our world. Like we are a local community-based organisation. They have to build awareness within a local community. Right? And then they have to ensure alignment with the systems and the tools in the Operation Standards Manual. And then together, there's a third piece to it. Together, you have to own the relationship and the noble cause. Right. You can't rewrite that noble cause. Every single person in the team have to be aligned across it, rerun, rerun workshops on pulling that apart and interpreting it and so on. And so there's kind of three parts to that relationship. It's franchisor responsibility, franchisee responsibility, the togetherness responsibility mm-hmm. of owning the relationship and being honest enough to be able to tell each other when you're dissatisfied with something. And so and then, you know, as part of all that, you know, what I make really... Um, clear with our franchisees that we launch our systems at 67% right, right? And the reason I do that is because if you wait to 100, you'll never launch anything. We have to move quick. This is a pioneering sector that no one else owns, that we're developing like no one else is developing. And so our systems, we launch at 67. And so because my franchisees then tell me everything that's wrong with them and we fix them, right? So we've got an incredibly intelligent, intelligent group of franchisees who are really super engaged and, you know, during the pandemic, the unity that came together um, was just incredible. I've never seen a franchise system come together like this franchise system did during 2020 good for There's, you
1: good for you what, what a wonderful what a wonderful thing what a wonderful little mini tutorial there so thank you for that look we're, we're amazing i could speak to you for, for hours i think on this stuff we're, we're, we're actually over time so i'm going to just ask you one or two more quickies uh, before we have to wrap up um so the next period for for dogtopia tell us tell us where you're going what your hopes and dreams are for, for the company over the next few years
0: Yeah, so I get asked that. um, We run a Discovery Day, Morty, every second week, every second Friday. And so I get asked that by practically every new franchisee coming into the system. And so our our number one goal is to get this business to 400 locations as quickly as we possibly can so that we've got this really wonderful national footprint. Once we're at that 400 locations, we can then start to implement some of the strategies around the ancillary channels that we're working on. So, Because by that stage, we'll have a national footprint that other brands want to be involved with from a partnership point of view. And you touched on that earlier, Morty, that that partnership opportunity is incredible, particularly in this business, because we have such a wonderful demographic. Right? Like our pet parents, our, our millennial female pet parents spend an hour and 32 minutes at a time on our webcams. An hour and 32 minutes at a time. You talk about engagement. We run a 90 NPS score. During COVID, we're at 94. I don't know another brand that runs a 94 NPS, right? Like Nordstrom, which are renowned as being one of the best service um, brands in the country are at 74, we're at 90, 94 last year. And so um, we have 400 locations that we wanna get to. Then we start developing out some of these ancillary channels so that we're continuing to bring the brand into people's homes. We're continuing to offer more daycare services. We wanna build that daycare awareness from 2% to at least 5%. And I don't see any reason why we can't get that to at least 10% of dogs are in daycare. To me, every dog deserves daycare. It's like every child deserves an education because I personally know the benefits that daycare brings to both the dog and the parent. It changes their world. You only have to look at some of our pet parent comments on any of the um, Yelp or Google. You've got parents now that are calling themselves Dogtopia dog parents. You look on Facebook, um, we have different breed groups that are developing across Facebook, where they're coming in saying, oh my God, I'm a Dogtopia dog, that's fantastic. Because they know of the benefits that it brings both them and their family. So it's an exciting sector. It's an incredible sector that Just has such long legs, you know, with the millennial moving into the Generation Z. um, It's an exciting space to be in.
1: Well, it's really interesting to hear you because uh, just in that last segment, they're talking about the relationship between uh, uh, the, the parent and their dog, but also... Uh, The relationship between a franchisee and a franchisor, and that relationship being so important and so important that it be tight and that it be nourished and that it be uh, nurtured, quite frankly. And I think um, it sounds like you're uniquely uh, positioned not only to be uh, the leader of a franchising company, but this specific one, which is a which brings a lot of the the, those maybe similar traits to to that relationship between consumer and their and their dog. So it's been um, really quite wonderful. To, to hear you talk about it. And as I said, I think I'd go on for, for hours. Um, but frankly, um, you know, Neil Gill, thank you so much for doing the safari. And I hope that Dogtopia uh, goes to the moon and back. Well,
0: Morty, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I too can talk about, that. I'm very passionate about this business and about this sector. Because I think that this has so much opportunity that we haven't grasped yet. So you know, people ask me, what keeps me awake at night? And it's that, it's that opportunity that we, that's still ahead of us. So, Morty, thank you. Great to meet you as well. And thanks for having me on
1: your show. Uh, Cheers. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.